Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. Today, I welcome author Ashley Audrain. Ashley has worked as a publicity director at Penguin Books in Canada, working with some best-selling authors. The experience of being a new mother inspired Ashley to write about the idea of motherhood and expectations and what happens if that experience turns out like nothing it's supposed to be. Today, we chat about The Push. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, Danny, thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Oh, I love that we can have this conversation and yet we are across the world. I'm in Sydney and it's 10.30 p.m. and you're in Toronto. And what time is it for you there? Yes, this is good. I'm glad this worked out. It's 6.30 a.m. here. So just uh, just up for the morning and hoping <laughs> my um, little ones sleep a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Mine are always interrupting the podcast. So, you know, I don't mind if yours interrupt this one. <laughs> The magic editing. <laughs> yeah, that's exact. Now, The Push, honestly, one of the best books I've read. It's incredible read for many reasons, and we're going to discuss that at length today. But can you provide us with an elevator pitch as to what The Push is about? Oh, thank you so much for saying that. Um, yes, so the, the Push is about a woman named Blythe. And she comes from a history of women struggled greatly with motherhood, you know, her own grandmother and her own mother. And she's really determined that she's going to break the cycle. She thinks that, you know, she she's the warm, you know, present, engaged mother that she always wanted and never had. And so she and her husband welcome a baby, Violet. And it is not long until they start to, or till, until Blythe starts to, like, there is something wrong with Violet. She is aloof and um, quite detached and angry little girl. And she starts to sort of see some malicious behavior um, towards other children. And the problem, of course, is that her husband falls 
Fox um, cannot see what Blythe sees in Violet. He thinks that it is very much, you know, a result of this maternal anxiety she's carried for so long and these kinds of fears of motherhood that she's always had. And so they, you know, try to run and they have a second baby named Sam. And in Sam, Blythe does find that connection that she'd always hoped for and was looking for. Uh, something, you know, goes terribly wrong in the family and they're really forced to take a look at, you know, who their daughter is, um, you know, who Blythe herself is, what has happened and, you know, the family uh, is from there. Mm, and just as you've said that, you just brought up so many things that I really want to discuss. Now, one of the first things was um, the quote at the very beginning by Lane Redman, and I posted this on social media and it got a lot of love, so I'm thinking it resonates with a lot of people. Oh. I'm going to read it. It's not a short quote, but I'm going to read it because I really want to discuss something that interested me, and that was the fact that you alluded to we're all seeds from the same garden as the people, in this case the women who came before us, and it's always interested me how much we are a part of those who came before and can we become someone different and how trauma is inherited. So before we talk through the exploration, I might just read that quote, if that's okay, by Lane Redman. It is often said that the first sound we hear in the womb is our mother's heartbeat. Actually, the first sound to vibrate our newly developed hearing apparatus is the pulse of our mother's blood through her veins and arteries. We vibrate to that primordial rhythm even before we have ears to hear. Before we were conceived, we existed in part as an egg in our mother's ovary. All the eggs a woman will ever carry form in her ovaries or she is a four-month-old fetus in the womb of her mother. This means our cellular life as an egg begins in the womb of our grandmother. Each of us spent five months in our grandmother's womb and she in turn formed within the womb of her grandmother. We vibrate to the rhythms of our mother's blood before she herself is born. That is just an incredible quote, isn't it? It is incredible. It, it's fascinating. And I found that quote, I was, I was, you know, I think maybe I was pretty far into the book at that point. And I was just doing some research on like attachment theories and kind of maternal attachment theories and um, just like some online research about sort of, you know, what, it, what, what existed out there about that. And I came across this quote on a midwifery site, actually, um, which will make a lot of sense, I think. And I just thought, oh my goodness, like this is, you know, it, yeah, I, it, it's really the, the biological, um, proof of kind of, you know, what, what I'd been writing about and what I'd been thinking about. And I just thought it was so well said and just so, so beautifully put, um, by her. And so I was just, yeah, I, I was, I was thrilled to use it in the book. It's interesting that you say you were already deep into the writing process when you found that quote, because I, I found the quote was just such it really described what your book was about really well and then, you know, questioned mm. how, you know, trauma can be inherited and how we carry that with us in our lives. Yeah, exactly. And I, those were, you know, those all those themes or topics that you just mentioned, They, I, I was so interested in those. I've always been really interested in those. Um, and so it doesn't, yeah, looking back, it doesn't surprise me that my writing kind of went there because um, I just, I've always found that to be really fast. And yeah, there, I think there, there came sort of a point when I was sort of, you know, halfway or so kind of writing where I thought like, wow, I really like, I just kind of wanted to know more. Like, you know, you have this instinct or this kind of gut feeling about 
things like that about that, you know, from your own experience or just from, you know, your observations of other people in the world, other families and other friends. And it, so, yeah, but there, there did come a point where I thought, oh, I just want to know what, other, like, what are, what are other people saying about this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that it was, it was really interesting to come across that. And I think I, what I love about it so much is that um, I, I don't know, I, could, I think it depends kind of what role kind of your mother or your grandmother play in your life but you know I'm very lucky I have a very very good relationship with my mom um despite the <laughs> despite the mothers in this book um and and ha- had a very nice relationship very good relationship with my grandmother as well and I feel like you know on that side of my family you know I, I do come from these this line of mothers that are very you know loving and nurturing and um but but it's only sort of now that I have my own kids that I I can see my grandmother especially so differently you know, like I, we, my only, you know, concept or kind of vision of her is just as, you know, an older woman with grown kids and she never knew my grandkids. And so, yeah, it, it's so interesting to think of, you know, me as the cell, you know, like in her womb through my mother. I mean, it's really, it is, it feels very profound and uh, just, yeah, just really quite remarkable and sort of gives you this connection to the past that maybe, um, you know, you didn't, couldn't feel before. So, yeah. I like what you say about not knowing your grandparents in a different way or knowing your grandparents in a different way when you get older, because I think as a child, you always know them as people who are much older than you. And it's only when you, I think exactly what you said is when you become a parent yourself that you start to think about them as whole people and lives that they lived as parents and grandparents. And that only sort of came to me later in life as well. Yeah. I, I, and I feel I've always, I've kind of always sort of thought that about my own mother, I think more like, especially now that I've had children, but, but yeah, but especially to your little grandparents, because we had such a small glimpse of, you know, their overall life. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've often thought about, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about kind of just that relationship between mothers and daughters, obviously, in writing this book. And it's so interesting to me that, you know, we feel so close to our mother, a lot of, I'm speaking very generally here, but a lot of us, you know, feel very close to our mothers. Um, obviously, you know, biologically, but emotionally and, you know, but at the same time, you know, our, our understanding of our mothers is through such narrow lens, you know, like we did not know the women that our mothers were before they had us. Um, and, and when I think about myself now, I'm 38 years old and I have two kids and, I've only been a mother for five years and I think about, you know, my identity and obviously it's been changed a lot by motherhood, but, you know, I had a very full life of 32 years before these kids came along. And it's so, it's so in to me to kind of think back to my mom and like, you know, who she was before motherhood and, and then, and then especially, yes, like my grandmother and like who she was and what life was like for her. And, um, I, yeah, it, it is one of those, I mean, it's, it is a bit of a cliche to say, you know, you wish you'd ask people more questions when they were around or when you could, but I almost, I wouldn't have known the questions to ask my own grandmother until I had kids myself, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting. And, um, yeah, there, you're right. There is something about having kids that just makes you really kind of look back and think, you know, that you just, you just, you wish, you wish you could know a little more kind of where you came from. And there, there are just natural limits to that. And I like how you said that you wouldn't have known the questions to ask because that's spot on, isn't it? Because I've had Mm. those thoughts myself, but you're absolutely right. You didn't at that point in your life, I'm the same. You just didn't have those questions to ask because maybe you would have asked them if you had them, but, you know, at that point you didn't. Now, I think um, you tackle some 
I guess, difficult issues in the book. And I don't want to give away too much for those who haven't read it. But as a, as a mother and a mother of small kids, was it sometimes difficult to write some parts in this book? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, uh, um, I've been thinking, sort of reflecting back on that now, <laughs> like to kind of try to access or remember kind of how that felt. And I have to say, like, at the time of writing, um, even though I was writing some pretty dark scenes and they were, you know, going to some scary places, it didn't feel um, as dark or challenging when I was writing it. I think it's almost darker to, as a reader. And now, like, even when I look back on those scenes now, I can, I, I, they move me more as a reader than they did as a writer. And I think it's because, you know, I think we all have so much fear and anxiety attached to motherhood, you know, and it, it sort of, you know, comes and goes and there's peaks of it and, you know, that's more than others, but there's always those seeds of, you know, those little seeds of thought, I think as a parent or and especially as a mother about, you know, the dangers and, you know, the threats to your children and, um, you know, all those little worries, almost from, you know, the time you first find out you're pregnant, you sort of get this, you know, feeling of, of that. And I think for me, you know, sitting down to write these scenes and write this story, you know, when I had small kids myself, um, I started writing when my son was six months old, I think it was a way of almost working through that, you know, and become and sort of desensitizing myself a little, a little bit to some of those big fears. Um, and so, yeah, I, there, I, I don't know if therapeutic is the right word, but it, mm -hmm. but it really was sort of a writing through as, as an exploration of what that would feel like. And, and there almost is this sense that, you know, when I, you know, when I walked away from it, I, I had got something out, you know, I had felt a little better, I'd kind of explored, you know, the worst of the worst. And so it, it, it wasn't as it wasn't like crippling or anything. Um, so it's interesting. And I, and I, you know, think a lot too. you know, these, these books about, you know, well, I mean, certainly, there's this trend now of, you know, people just gobbling up, you know, like domestic thrillers and more the psychological suspense, and they all go to such dark places. And I think as readers, we kind of come at it from that same place, you know, like, it's uncomfortable to read about, but um, but reading about it almost makes you feel like, okay, well, you know, you you faced it, you've explored it. Um, it. There's something there. There's something, you know, feeding into that, I think. So it's it's probably akin to that. Mm, I think you're absolutely right. And then you talk about fear and parenthood, which, you know, you're spot on with that. Mm. But as well as that, I think, and you touch on this in the novel, is the guilt that you feel as a parent doing everything and the guilt of maybe never becoming the parent that you dream of before you have children, because it's very easy to dream of the parent you want to be. It's very different <laughs> to then having children and the expectation you, you have of yourselves and that other people have of you. It's, it's a lot, isn't it? And I thought, you know, was this part of the reason why it was so important for you to explore because you felt like you mustn't be the only person experiencing mm -hmm. these things? Yes, it's exactly that. I think that idea of expectation around motherhood um, in particular, and that was really what I started writing about. What I, what I, the sort of kind of the thing I first wanted to say with this book um, was about that was about exploring those expectations. And I think I just, I, you know, I'd always really been fascinated by motherhood and like long before I had kids, um, just the idea of, you know, I could just, oh, I always just had this <laughs> knew how much it would change a person. And I knew how, um, you know, how I, it always interested me, like, why did women make the decision to become mothers, you know, knowing that you were walking into so much unknown. And I, I'd always kind of thought that. And then when I became a mother myself, you know, I definitely experienced that sort of, you know, confrontation against kind of those expectations of what it's supposed to be like. And, and I 
had even prepared myself that I knew I couldn't possibly understand what it would be. Um, and even then I felt like, wow, this is, you know, it really is not what kind of people tell you that it should be like and teach you that it should be like, and the kind of that pressure that society puts on us to, you know, feel a certain way and be a certain way and speak a certain way. I mean, there is, there's such a tight control over that experience of motherhood. And, you know, certainly some of that rings true. I mean, like I, I'm lucky that I you know, bonded with my kids right away and loved them dearly right away. Um, but I, but there are other parts of it that you think like, wow, it's so, it just really was so interesting to me that, you know, there was this lack of honesty around, around some of that. Um, you know, one thing that comes to mind is even this, even, even, um, you know, I was lucky that I had a lot of friends who had babies at the same time as I did. And it's even in the language that we would all use myself included, where it's like, you know, you, you might, feel like you can confess that you're having a terrible day and that it's been so hard and that the baby's not sleeping and you're not sleeping and you're just going out of your mind. But then you always feel this pressure to kind of put a disclaimer on the end of that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if that rings true for you, but you sort of, you feel like you can say something negative, but then, but then you have to say, Oh, but you know, I love them and they're so cute and they did this yesterday and it's all fine. Or, you know, you, you feel like you feel this pressure, even, you know, in just chatting with your friends, I think about you about how to talk about it. Um, so that, that was really, I mean, obviously the book, the book take goes on a very different journey, but I think, you know, I've been lucky to hear from readers that it's felt quite relatable. And I think that's the part that's relating is that, is that kind of that pressure to be, you know, showing a different side when really the reality is so different. Mm. And I think that's what was so great about the book. It has this juxtaposition of, you know, the psychological thriller, and then you've got that really real part of feeling all those things that you did, you know, when you became a mother. And one of the parts that really resonated for me was in the book, you said a mother's heart breaks in a million ways. And I thought this is so true. And, all, you know, this, this book is mm. from the perspective of a mother, but it's such a true quote because all throughout being a parent, there are just those little tiny heartbreaks, aren't they? And it happens constantly. And I don't know about you, but I feel this every time my child has a birthday and it sounds totally, uh, <laughs> you know, like it sounds completely, um, you know, without common sense. But I feel this sort of grief every time they're, you know, they're not a baby anymore. They're not a toddler anymore. And I feel like this quote just resonates so much and it says so much about being a parent. Oh, thank you. I, I, yeah, that, that, I think that's my favorite line in the book. And I, I feel like I just, because it's so true, exactly what you said. Um, it's, you know, we, we have the bigger, you know, more obvious or typical kind of heartbreaking moments as a parent. And, you know, hopefully we don't have many of those, but you know, we can all kind of felt that at some point, but really I think, you know, the hard part is all the tiny little breaks, all the tiny little heartbreaks that you can feel on a daily basis, you know, and it's, it's exactly that it's the birthdays, it's, you know, looking over and seeing, seeing them differently, all of a sudden seeing them look so much older, like almost overnight some days and, or like, you know, the little, the first time they, you know, kind of pull, like I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And so, a lot of the moments are the little heartbreak moments for me are sort of the, you know, the demonstrations of independence and sort of that pulling away when they didn't pull away before, um, you know, all those things are not, not needing you as much at, you know, to, to put them to bed, like just all the, all these little things that sort of demonstrate them kind of moving further away from you. And yeah, and there, I, I, I loved writing that scene where that line appears and it's a scene where, Blythe is, you know, it actually is a scene that has nothing really to do with her life, but she's observing another family and she's in a coffee shop and she's um, overhearing 
a new father talk to, or an expectant father talk to his parents. And this is kind of a coffee shop regular that she eavesdrops on <laughs> regularly. And she, she's, she's listening to this, um, you know, man who's, you know, probably about 30 or so, um, you know, talk to his parents about the baby that's coming and the new life that he is creating with his wife and, you know, the house that they have just bought to set up the nursery and, um, what an exciting time in life that is. And, you know, the mother, his mother says to him, you know, has cleared her schedule and says, I can't wait to come. I can sleep on the floor. I'll sleep on a cot. You know, I can't wait to come help you when the baby comes. And he says to her, you know, very gently that they don't need her. And, you know, that, that his wife's mother is going to come. And I just, I can't think of anything more heartbreaking (laughs) as as a mother of a son. And, you know, that, that to me was one of those, that that's one of those cracks. That's one of those heartbreaking moments, you know, where you just know how much that woman would have wanted to be there for her child, but she's, but he doesn't need her. And that those are kind of the moments I was speaking about um, that, you know, happen all the time. And we don't, we, we might not even be able to recognize them in other people, you know, when it's happened, when we're doing it to our own mothers, but. They're, they're certainly there. Mm, absolutely. And I like that he was an adult and, you know, still had the capacity to mm. break, you know, the mother's heart in that way because you're a mother forever, you know, and, and my kids always say, oh, you know, am I still going to be mm. your baby when I'm 30? I'm like, definitely. You're definitely still going to be my baby when you're 30. Yes. It's funny, isn't it? My son often, I mean, he's, he's the five-year-old and he'll often say to me, like he, he's very focused on where he's going to live when he's older. And I think he got up on the fact that like people do leave home and he does, and he, and he just can't accept that. And so he'll often say to me, like, I'm going to live with you forever. I'm going to live in this house with you and dad forever. I am not moving out. Like he's very, he's, re- and I just like, see, I love it. I'm like, yes, you can stay here forever. You can live here forever. It's like, let's live in this fantasy world where you're going to be, you know, in the third bedroom upstairs for the rest of your life. Great. <laughs> Oh, that's it's that's so exactly funny. how the conversations go in my house. I'm like, yeah, why would you move out? We'll just like build another <laughs> room, another section for you. Why would you move out? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's healthy parenting exactly. actually, but I'm with you. I'm with you on that. <laughs> no, it's probably not. But let's just go with it. We'll go yep. as long as we can. <laughs> as long as we can. I'm with you right there. <laughs> now, talking about sort of the uncomfortable parts about motherhood <laughs> as well, and I thought this was this really resonated with me as well. Um, I remember one day realizing how important my body was to our family, not my intellect, not my ambitions, not the person shaped by 36 years, just my body. And that's a quote in your book. And I remember feeling this exact way, just being this mm-hmm. kind of thing that fed others, sustained others, you know, it was just there for other people. And it's a really complex feeling because you feel guilty for it. And yet, you feel like you don't belong to yourself and you feel like you belong to everyone else. And I thought it's a very real depiction of motherhood that we probably don't talk about enough. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. It's, uh, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I remember feeling that way too. I remember thinking, I think a lot of it came just, you know, the, the physical exhaustion of motherhood. Like, yeah, there's, you know, the emotional mental exhaustion too, but, but it really is such a physically demanding time when you have such little kids, you know, especially if you're nursing, um, you know, especially, um, you know, a birth that was harder, uh, you know, it, it is and your and your body just looks different and feels different. And yet so many people need it, you know, and it just it really is feels relentless in those years. I think you're right. I think we don't really talk about that as much. Um, yeah. And so I thought that that was important capture. And there is something about, um, you know, there's this, there's this in the book where, um, 
you know, we sort, we hear, it's like this, you know, repetitive, we hear this over and like, we get basically got a look at Blythe's day with these two young kids. And, and, and basically it's like a, um, like a role of all the tasks that she goes through, you know, from the time she gets up until the time, until the time they're done. And when you look at that list of all of these, you know, like literally, like legit, it's like, the logistical list of what her day looks like. But at that point in life, when you've got two small kids and you're home alone with them, that is all your day is. It is a series of logistics and things that you've, you have to physically do to keep the day moving and to keep the kids, you know, healthy and safe. And I think, I think when I wrote that scene and then looked at it, I thought, my God, like it seems extreme, but it is not, you know, it is, it is, it is moving from one task physically to the next. Um, and so it's no wonder at the end of the day that, you know, mothers at that stage, you know, feel a certain way. I mean, it is just taxing and I don't, yeah, I don't really think we stop enough to kind of look at that, look at that and see kind of what that does to us and how hard it really is. Um, and, you know, again, it's like this, it really is like, it's like an overnight switch where, you know, you go from thinking of yourself totally differently. And then that first baby comes out and, you know, you, you all, you're, you are needed in a very different way than you have been, you know, for your life lead until then. It's just, it's fascinating. Mm, it is. And it's, and it's, it's complex because, you know, you love being needed by your children and you love it when they come to you mm-hmm. when they need you or they've had a bad dream or whatever. But I remember being in that nursing stage and my children are quite close together. So at one point I was nursing them both at the same time. And I remember at the end of the day, if I could have levitated, I would have because I just didn't want anything touching mm. me. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I totally can relate that. And also, um, that, that guilt, as you said, that kind of comes with that because, you know, I was always very aware of like how lucky that I was, you know, to carry, to, to be able to conceive and to give birth to two babies and, you know, have them physically at home with me that they were, you know, like all of that, you, you are, it's this, it's this contradiction between how, how truly grateful you are for it all because you are with how much you just want to run away from it. Sometimes, you know, you just exactly, you don't want anybody touching you. You don't want any hands on you. You just want to get yourself back. Um, and it, and it, that is, there's a lot of guilt in that contradiction for sure. It's, it's tough. Yeah, it is. And you also explore mental illness and how different women cope after the birth of their children. And you explore, I thought, in quite a realistic way because there was no magic cure for how someone reacts, particularly during, you know, having experiencing postnatal depression or postnatal anxiety or any other mental illness. Can you take me through your exploration or your research of mental illness in this book or your experiences? Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, Blythe does not, um, I didn't specifically mean for her to have postpartum depression. Um, but she certainly is going through a very dark and very difficult time. Um, you know, and there, there might be, um, you know, psychologists or psychiatrists who read this book and say, that's obviously what it was, but it, but that wasn't my intention for her. And she's never diagnosed with that. And she doesn't confront that. Um, but you know, she, she definitely, um, you know, she, she, as I said, she's in a dark place. And I think that, um, again, like I've sort of heard from women who have said how relatable this book is. And 
I'm very grateful for that. And some of, you know, some women have said they have kind of suffered from postpartum depression and some haven't, but they, but they still can really relate to these feelings. And, you know, I didn't have postpartum depression, but I definitely went through dark, hard times. Um, you know, especially since my son was, he was, um, had some unexpected kind of health problems after he was born. And so there was that kind of lay of trying to, you know, get him healthy and dealing with, you know, all the, the, the problems that came along with those health challenges. And so, um, yeah, there, I think there are all kinds of, you know, factors and elements that come into our life in that early year of motherhood that, you know, can really just the mental health is such a real concern. And I think, part of why Blythe struggles so much is because, you know, nobody acknowledges that for her, you know, nobody stops and says like, you know, what you are feeling a is very normal and, you know, a totally typical experience. Um, but also that like, I hear you and see you and like validate, nobody really validates those feelings for her. I mean, she even goes to her doctor and her doctor kind of says, you know, yeah, well, you know, I, I, like I, oh, I know, I've been there, I've been there, I know. But she doesn't offer, um, you know, anything more than that sort of, you know, quick acknowledgement and kind of brushes it aside. Um, and same with her friends, you know, who she goes to lunch with them, and you know, she she's she really at her heart believes that there's no way that all of these other mothers with babies are doing as well as they look they as they as they look to be. But you know, none of them crack for her, none of them kind of show her. And so, yeah, I think um, you know when I had finished. Um, writing uh, sort of closer to the end of it, not completely done, but had like a pretty solid um, draft is um, I did have a um, psychologist read the book. And she was a psycho she is a psychologist who specializes in trauma, um, and does work with a lot of women. Um, and I wanted to get her perspective on the book, I, I think from, you know, a mental health sensitivity perspective, you know, to really make sure that it was sensitive from that from that perspective. Um, and she was, you know, very helpful. And um, I'm glad that I kind of that I had shown that to her and that I had got her input on it. Um, yeah. Mm, I like that. Yeah, I like some heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I like the input from the psychologist. I think that's really important. And I was thinking even, you know, beyond Blythe, her mother and her grandmother, back in that period mm. of time, there wasn't really even a name for talking about postpartum anxiety or depression. And, you know, yes. there was a stigma attached to it. So I imagine those feelings would be even more difficult to communicate or to acknowledge. Yes, for sure. And I did some research about that, just looking at um, how women were medicated then and if, the, you know, how, all of that, how that, um, and, and it was just such a different time. And it actually, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know, to think back that there really, there wasn't, you know, we, we have a long way to go now, you know, in 2021, in terms of how we speak about women's mental health and, you know, the space and the, that we make for them, for all the difficult experiences that they're having. But, oh my goodness, like that, you know, we, we have <laughs> come a long way from, from where we were obviously. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it is scary and heartbreaking to think of what women, you know, had to go through, you know, 50, you know, 60, 70 years ago when they were experiencing, you know, these same kinds of feelings. Yeah. Ashley, I'm really interested in your writing style. I found, you know, it beautifully poetic to read, but I'm interested in the use of first and second person and past tense. And I really liked how that enabled us to be so very close to the protagonist. Was this a natural way for you to write or did you get there in the end? Did you start in this style from the beginning? Can you tell us about that process? Ooh, yes. Um, I, it's, it's interesting. I didn't, I did not set out to write it um, in this kind of hybrid 
second person um, perspective. It just was what came out. It just, I, I, it wasn't a conscious decision. It, it, but when I sat down to write, um, that was the voice and that was Blythe's voice always to me from, you know, that very first day. Um, and I had, I sort of just started writing that way and kind of going to work, but wasn't, yeah, wasn't, wasn't so conscious about it. And I'm glad that it did work, I think. Um, but because I, I, that was, I can't, I don't know if I could have, I couldn't have written the same story. I think if I was, um, speaking from a third person or if I didn't kind of let myself do that a bit differently. So, yeah. And I, and yeah, it's interesting because I didn't, I think it wasn't really until I started really sharing it with people that um, that I kind of thought more about like, oh yeah, like, you know, you don't, you don't read a lot from that voice. And I think for readers, you know, for some readers, it might be a bit jarring or a little hard to settle into because, you know, she is speaking to somebody. She is speaking directly to her husband, Fox. And so we hear a lot of the you, you know, you voice. Um, so it's, it's a slight kind of twist on that second person narrative in terms of sometimes I think a very like traditional second person narrative this I've learned all this recently by the way I did not I'm not a <laughs> face student or like a writing student so this is this is you know all new to me but um but yeah I think a more traditional second person is that you know you are you you put the reader you you're speaking to directly to the reader as you and here I am doing that but I but I am assuming that the person reading you know, is Fox so it is kind of directed to someone specific anyways those are those are details but um but yeah I it's fun and now I'm working on my second book now and I'm using that um point of view I'm it's it's in third person and from multiple perspectives and so it's just such a different it's so different it's such a different experience kind of writing from that different perspective for me but yeah I, I it it was it was fun to do from that from that perspective I think it was what drew me to the book from the start. I just read the opening chapter and then I think I had to go and do something. And then I thought about, wow, that's a really interesting perspective. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that works. And it really did work for me because I felt very close to the protagonist. So I actually really enjoyed that kind of hybrid that, you know, that you don't see very often. Now, you have um, worked with some incredible authors such as Khaled Hassini and I love his work, Elizabeth Gilbert and Meg Wallitzer. I mean, mm. what did you learn from working with these people about your own writing? Uh, question. Yeah. So some of them I worked with um, more closely in person or directly and then other ones I worked on their books, but didn't have as much interaction with them um, because we, I was publicity director at Penguin Canada and we would have, you know, like authors that were on the Penguin Canada list. And then some of those other authors, you know, we would distribute as a publicist, you, you sort of have different kind of levels of kind of access or levels of working relationship with some of these authors although you know it is it, yeah when they kind of come through and they're touring through town um it's just it's such a it was just such a joy to get to um to spend time with them um and you mentioned Haled Husseini and he is just um he I think the biggest impression on me just in terms of how gracious and truly kind he is and how, yeah, he, he's really just um, as incredible as you might imagine him to be um, just, but yeah, just very gracious, a very gracious person. But yeah, I, you know, I didn't, what did I learn from them? You know, I think, I think two things. I, I mean, you learn, I didn't ever, I wasn't, you know, didn't talk to them about writing or anything like that at the time, but, um, but I think you just learn from reading, you know, I feel like I read so much 
much during those couple years that I worked in publishing because you have to read, you know, every book you work on, you have to read all the, you know, the big books that your publisher is putting out and you read more widely than you would normally. I think like I read far more literary and also far more commercial than I normally do. And, and I think, um, you're, you're reading and you're, you're learning as a writer, you're kind of learning, like you're very attention to, you know, how writers are crafting books and, you know, pace and character development and all of those things. Um, so I think looking back, you know, I didn't write much or ever talk about writing during those years, but, but the reading itself was such an education. But I think the other thing you learn is just like work ethic, you know, like how hard these writers work um, and how like dedicated and committed they are to what they do. Um, and, you know, as a publicist, you're kind of getting them at their most uncomfortable <laughs> most times because, you know, you're, you're putting them, you know, in front of media and you're doing these big events and, you know, you're having dinners, you know, putting on dinners for them. And it's such a social part of it. And most writers, you know, do that because they have to do it, but they're, you know, it's not their favorite part. And so, yeah, it, it was, it was a definitely a privilege to be, to have that job and um, spend time with some of those writers, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very grateful for those for those couple of years. They, they definitely taught me a lot. I love that idea of just learning and immersing yourself through reading, and I, I think that's amazing. I mean, I, I've been an English teacher for a lot of years, and I always said, you know, you can't expect to be a brilliant, accomplished writer if you don't read widely, and that's the greatest way to learn, I think. Oh, it really is, and I think, um, oh gosh, yeah, for sure. And I think, and you know, most writers, you know, when you talk like and thinking too of like, you know, um, just writing advice and the writing advice and the books that we all love to read about the craft and all of that, you know, it, it seems to me like, like the universal advice for writers. Like it's something that everyone can agree on <laughs> is that, you know, that is where you learn the most, um, you know, depending no matter what your other opinions are on how to write a book or anything. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think just writers, I different and not to say that I read every book that way, but, um, but there is certain authors that you know you think you just you admire them so much and you admire you know their, their work so much and then when you read it you're reading it you know looking for those things and paying attention and being like a very active reader um you know as opposed to sort of passively reading for enjoyment which I also do but you know there's you kind of you can approach things sort of differently but yeah I do think I do think it's like the absolute best thing you can do um and I also love, you know, some people say they can't really read much while they're writing, like they're really in the book and they're deep into it. Um, they don't really let themselves read that genre or read much at all, read fiction if you're writing fiction. And I find the opposite, like I like I take, I, I don't feel like that has an impression on my writing, but I, I instead I feel like it's inspiring in other ways, like it sort of just helps to kind of keep the gas going, you know, like to, it helps to kind of fuel it all. So I, yeah, I, I can't, I always have a book on the go, um, even when I'm deep into writing. Mm. Now, Ashley, I've loved this chat so much, but I have a final question for you. Why do you write? Oh, I love that question. You know, I write because it is the thing that, that makes me feel most like myself, I would say. It is, I think, you know, I've worn different hats <laughs> um, and had periods where I have been writing and haven't been writing. And, you know, I can say without a doubt that, you know, the me I am when I'm writing is the most authentic me. It is, you know, it is truly who I am. And it just brings me such joy. Um, and that's why I write. 
Mm, beautiful answer. And look, thank you so much for your time tonight, Ashley. Well, morning for you. Um, I finished the book last night quite late. I couldn't sleep afterwards because there were so many things turning inside <laughs> my mind about motherhood and relationships after motherhood and the complexity of the two. So thank you so much for writing it, keeping me awake at night and making me think about all those things um, that, you know, is behind us as mothers, <laughs> but still ahead of us as mothers too. It was a, it was a truly brilliant book in many ways. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with me today. Oh, Danny, that's so nice to hear. And I have to, this has been such a pleasure. I've loved chatting with you and uh, this was great. Thanks.